see it. <laughs> okay, let's gather. Big group. I was wondering how many people would be here tonight. <laughs> including women and children, need two hands. <clears throat> All right, let's, uh, we'll go ahead and gather and we'll start. And so um, just a couple announcements for um, reminder of stuff that's going on. Um, the first is Saturday. There's a couple parents in here that have kids. So the kids' party's on Saturday here at the church, 4 to 6, and it's the winter party, so just an opportunity for kids to get together and hang out. And um, so, yeah, hopefully you have that on your calendar. It's a good time to um, get them together. Also, the baptism is on Sunday after church at the Pilcher House, so hopefully that's on your radar as well, and that'll be I think we need to confirm the time, but um, I'll get with Dan and we'll, we'll send that out. And then, oh yeah, and then next week, this is kind of our five Wednesday month, and so next Wednesday is our potluck prayer, and it's family favorites. So whatever your family enjoys having for dinner, bring it and enough of it to share with everyone else who's here. And so we'll have our potluck time, and then we'll have our prayer time after that and um, spend some time together going before the Lord and presenting to Him our needs, our requests, but also our praises as well, too. So um, we're going to be in Psalm 32 tonight, and it is, um, you know, it's just a wonderful psalm that highlights the blessing of God's forgiveness. And when you understand God's forgiveness, um, it is not just an incredible source of joy, but it's also an incredible source of um, hope and an incredible source of assurance and really the rest and the peace that's offered to us when we really understand and embrace the forgiveness that God offers to us. So we'll get into that in just a moment. But I'm going to open us up with 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 and 10, and then I'll pray and we'll sing, and then we'll get into Psalm 32. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8, 9, and 10, and this is kind of, again, to, to prepare us for Psalm 32 as David is going to highlight the blessing of forgiveness. So 1 John 1, 8, 9, and 10, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And we, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight, and we thank you for the opportunity to gather together to worship. You're worthy. Um, so if there were a thousand of us, or if there were ten of us, um, it would be worth gathering together to, to look to you collectively, to worship you, because you're worthy of all praise and honor and glory. And we want to do that tonight. And so we pray that our hearts are in a position to give that to you and that we are in a position to receive your word, to, um, to rejoice in it, and to learn as well, Lord, the wonderful gift and blessing that we have in forgiveness and the ability to, 
to receive it and to come to you over and over again and to hear your words of um, forgiveness that you speak to us. Though we don't deserve it, Lord, you are, you're good to us in that way. So we thank you. We love you, Lord, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can stand and we will sing together. All right, we're going to do a song a little bit differently tonight than maybe you're familiar with. There's an added chorus to, um, to this one. Um, and we're going to be introducing it on Sunday, so we figured we'd kind of let you guys get the trial run so that you can learn the chorus and then sing loud on Sunday, help everybody out.
Father, we do, uh, we do thank you for the fact that we can turn our eyes upon you, look full at your wonderful face, and have the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. Nothing captivates the heart like your glory, God. It satisfies, purifies, it assures us that we are yours, that you are who you are, and in spite of us being who we are, you have done a work and assured us that um, by faith in the work of Christ, we are yours. And we can sing not just the songs that we've sung tonight, but we can sing Psalm 32. Blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Each one of us in this room tonight that knows you Father, by faith in your Son is blessed. Whether or not we feel it, whether or not we think it, no matter how we measure blessedness, your word proclaims the truth that we are blessed. And I pray, God, that you would give us a heart and a mind to think that way so that we may settle into this blessedness that is ours in Christ and that we may then live a life that's honoring to Christ because of it and, and begin to formulate a pattern of a way of coming to you um, when we stray because our position is secure in Christ. So 
So help us, Lord, tonight as we come to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Psalm 32 is a well-known one, and and many of you may be familiar with it. It's, um, you know, it's a psalm that David writes. It's a song of his being convicted by his sin. So it's similar to Psalm 51 in that way. I think if you were to ask people, you know, what psalm would you go to to hear a song regarding conviction of sin and repentance? I think probably most people would mention Psalm 51, but Psalm 32 is another good one. It's, it's along those lines as well where David is looking back upon, um, we don't know what situation it is, but upon conviction of sin and then he's writing, he writes this song about the wonderful blessing it is of what it feels like and what it is like to be forgiven. And I think that meditating upon the forgiveness that we have in Christ is one of the most important things that a believer can do and a really a believer must do, should do, because when, you're, when you meditate upon the forgiveness that you have in Christ, and you understand the breadth and the depth, the expanse of what the, what the blood of Christ covers and the forgiveness that is actually yours. It's not like a forgiveness that I'm still waiting to um, attain or waiting to obtain from him. It's a forgiveness that you have today in the here and the now. And it's a forgiveness that is invitational. It's a forgiveness that calls the children of God, to continue to come to him to be cleansed and to, to once again, um, to remember the forgiveness that is ours, to experience and embrace the freedom, the washing, the purification that forgiveness brings, and then to live a life of joy and worship because you realize that you stand in a relationship of perpetual forgiveness in the eyes of the Lord. I mean, that is incredible. I, if anybody in this room has ever been in um, relational strife with another person, which we probably all have been, and it's because you have caused that strife, like you're at odds or you have beef with somebody because of something that you did or that you said, and um, and then you, the, the transaction of forgiveness is practiced between you and that other person, and you know what it's like to be relationally strained with somebody that it is very dear to you and means a lot to you, and then that forgiveness takes place, and you have, again, that unification of that relationship with that other person. You can relate to what David is talking about in this psalm, how sweet it is to, to be reunited with somebody because forgiveness has been granted. That transaction, if you will, has taken place. And that's what David talks about, only it's between him and God. And uh, and it's my hope and my prayer that we would really, I guess, uh, revel in that forgiveness the way that David does. We would embrace it. And then we would also practice um, what David practices, what we see in this psalm in him going to God, in receiving, asking for forgiveness and receiving it. So um, Psalm 32, 
my Bible has the title of it, Blessed Are the Forgiven. I'm going with that. I tried to come up with something that I thought would be a little bit more closer to home, but, um, but I couldn't because there's this idea of blessedness. Is so, it's so broad. It's so wide. It encompasses so many things, which we'll get to. Um, but blessed, blessed are the forgiven. If you're forgiven in Christ, you're blessed. There's nothing else to it. Nothing else you need to be blessed. So Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Blessed are the forgiven. It's a mascal of David. Um, he makes an opening statement in verses 1 and 2, and his opening statement is just one that is across the board. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. If you are forgiven, if you have forgiveness, and now we understand this, we see this psalm, we read this psalm through the lens of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that really to have forgiveness is only possible by faith in Christ. But by faith in Christ, we see what this forgiveness looks like. It's a sin that is covered. The Lord counts no iniquity against us. I mean, you think about that. You think about just the things that you've possibly done today, the things that would be offensive against the Lord that you've done today alone, not let alone the, the, the past week. The things that you've thought, the things that you've said, the things that you have done, the coveting that has taken place, the lustful thoughts, the anger, the jealousy, all of these things that we struggle with on a regular basis. The opening of the psalm is a declaration is that the forgiveness of the Lord covers it all. And that's why the person who has forgiveness is blessed. This idea of blessed is um, it's multifaceted. It's, it's the idea of happiness. So, I mean, if you're forgiven, you should be happy, right? I mean, that should make sense to us. If your sins are forgiven by God, you should be a happy person. Why aren't Christians happier? This psalm, what it does is it, it causes us to look away from the sins. Robert Murray McShane said, for every 
look, for every time you look at your sin, take 10 looks to Christ. We tend to so easily focus in on, this is what I've done wrong, and our wickedness and our sinfulness, and there is certainly a place for that. But if that is all you do, you are going to be unhappy, you are going to be discouraged, because all you're looking at is what is wrong with you. And God is saying, lift your eyes and look to me. I I know who you are. I know what you've done, and yet I have still come to you and offered up my son and granted you full pardon and forgiveness. Lift your eyes upon Jesus and look full at his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You set your eyes upon him, the blessedness, the happiness, the joy the, the favor that God bestows upon his children, the comfort, the, the assurance that this offers to us. This is why blessedness is so wonderful, because it's not just one thing. It's like all of these things. It's, it's happiness, it's joy, it's comfort, it's peace, it's rest, it's assurance. It's all of these things in one, and they're all given to the believer in full in Christ. And when you set your eyes upon him, everything else begins to lose its shine, its sparkle. The things of the world that we sometimes we so desperately want, we so desperately desire, and it doesn't have to be material things. It can be like relational things. It can be um, financial things. It can be relational things. It can be um, like positional things at your job, wherever it may be. Those things become dim. They begin to lose their luster and their sparkle because they, they can't compare to the goodness and the glory of God that's shown to us in full in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this psalm starts out with this exuberant proclamation, blessed. Do you think of yourself as blessed? What would, what would you need to still have What do you not have right now that if you got it, you would go, certainly now I am blessed? That thing is what we call an idol. If you are still searching for something that you think that you need or that you do not have in order to be blessed, you are looking to that thing to provide something for you that it cannot, it will not, and God only can. And he calls his children blessed. If you are in Christ, you are blessed. I think of um, Ephesians chapter 1. One, three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I mean, that would take some unpacking, but I'll just, I'll just leave that there for us tonight, that the scriptures say that you have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So he would go on from here. I have um, four things that we learn from this psalm regarding the blessedness. And the first thing is what we see in verses three and four, and it's conviction. Conviction is a blessing from God. 
Listen to what he says. Right, so he makes this proclamation of what the blessed man has, who the blessed person is. It's forgiven, since covered, Lord counts no iniquity against us. It's, it's remarkable. And then he goes and then he begins to work through um, how, to, like, how to get there. Verses 3 and 4, and the first thing is conviction. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. He's talking about relational hardship and tension between him and God unconfessed sin will begin to, it'll begin to feel like a weight upon you that is sapping you of your strength. And it's all of our own doing. Like, he makes it very clear in verse 5 how to get rid of that burden. But he says in verses 3 and 4, when I kept silent, right, I, I would not confess my sin. It's like my bones were wasting away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. He's talking about this conviction and this relational heaviness and strain that's put on him when he, when he does not confess his sin. And this is what it should feel like for us. When you are mindful, I mean, we commit sins all the time. There are things that we do that, we don't even, we're not even aware of them. He's talking about something that he knows, he's mindful of. He's done it, he's aware of it, he knows it, and yet won't confess it. And life, be, life for him, it begins to feel like he's dragging an anchor through him, through life. It's like the hand of the Lord is upon him, and it's probably like the hand of the Lord is like gentle at first, like my son, we know, I know, you know, we know what's happened. Would you come to me? And as the longer time goes on, the heavier the hand of the Lord gets until it feels like his bones are wasting away and he has no strength left. It's been sapped. It's in like the heat of summer. And we know what it's like to have triple-digit weather here and to be try to work outside in the heat of the triple di- And you just feel like you're languishing away. Minutes feel like hours. And this is what he, his life feels like. Spiritually, this is what it should feel like for the believer when you have unconfessed sin and you're not going before the Lord. Conviction is a blessing. To have that, the weight of God upon you in order to confess and come to him, which is what he covers in verse 5. The, second ble- the first blessing is conviction. The second blessing is confession. I acknowledged my sin to you, right? This is the moment of, okay, confession, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Like, why don't we do these things sooner? We, we know theologically, I know you know, I know we know that when we go to the Lord and confess our sin, he is faithful and just. First John 1, 9, he will forgive us. And yet we don't. It's really absurdity. Why is it that when we sin against the Lord in our shame and our guilt, we run and hide like Adam and Eve rather than coming to the Lord who has already granted us forgiveness? He's speaking from the position of one who knows what forgiveness is like. He knows what it's like to be brought into relational unity and forgiveness with God, and yet there are times in his life where he commits sin and and hides it. We're really odd creatures, aren't we? 
we know the freedom, the blessing that comes in being forgiven. We know that God will, will forgive us when we come to Him and confess it. And yet, we, and yet we don't at times. Confession is a blessing. I um, earmarked Psalm, or not Psalm, Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Isn't that wonderful? He who conceals, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. I mean, this is Christianity 101. This is biblical counseling 101. When people come to you and they're struggling with sin, one of the first questions should be, have you confessed it to the Lord? That's where it starts. Because when you do, the person who confesses and forsakes them, they obtain mercy. God then begins the merciful work of sanctification in that person's life and purifying them of the sin that they're harboring that they're struggling with in their life. This is, this is like incredibly practical and wonderful. We're talking about freedom. If you've ever, maybe I'm just talking to myself. If you've ever, if you've ever been, if you've ever had unconfessed sin and you've struggled with the bondage and the, the shackling and the strangle that it can have upon you, you know what it's like to have, when those shackles and those chains fall off by, the, by the, the gift and the mercy of confession and repentance that the Lord gives. You know what it's like to be in a slave and then to be freed from that sin. This is what he's, he's trying to urge us to do because it's what God holds out to us. What I'm struck by is in some ways the incredible simplicity that is involved in this. It's like you're convicted, you just confess. Like you, God, God is so good. He doesn't make us jump through a hundred hoops. He doesn't say, okay, well, you're, you're sorry for what you've done, so then first I want you to do this, and then do this, and then do this, and guess what? We're a quarter of the way there, and then I want you to do this, and this, and this, and this. You're getting closer. Like, it's just one step. It's confession. And if you have genuine confession in your heart, you receive mercy, forgiveness. Not only that, not only do we see the blessing of, of conviction, the blessing of confession, but the blessing of the call in verse 6 and 7. Therefore, let everyone who is godly, see, he's talking to people who are believers, to the godly. Offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. Verse 6, he's talking about offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. For the believer, this is always. There's always, God can always be found. Um, again, I think of Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If tonight is your time of need, confess and go to him. He can be found. 
Go to him like every, every, that second, that minute, don't delay, go to him. He can be found. And he talks about the rush of great waters shall not reach him. He's talking about judgment, right? The rush of great waters, which you should think of when you hear these words, rush of great waters, you should think flood. And flood was God's um, sign of judgment upon wicked mankind. And what he says is that the rush of great waters shall not reach you. You will be delivered from judgment if you call upon him. And then he says in verse 7, as he calls upon him, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. And this, the last sentence of verse 7, you surround me with shouts of deliverance. I don't, I don't hear that, you know? I don't know what that sounds like. I know Scripture says it's true. But we need to know that when God, when, when, we, when one comes to him with conviction, confession, and calls out to him, he surrounds that person with shouts of deliverance. It's like a proclamation that this one is mine. not only conviction, confession, and the call, but then he counsels us, verses 8 and 9. And this, he kind of switches voices here in the psalm. He's talking um, from his position up until here, and then verses 8 and 9, he switches, and it's the voice of God that's speaking. As God counsels, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. It's like one of the great mercies of God that when you're convicted and you confess your sin and you call out to him, is that he then counsels you. He doesn't just say, okay, I picked you up, I washed you clean, I've set you upon your two feet, as wonderful as that is. He says, and I am continuing to be with you and I will continue to pour out my wisdom and my counsel upon you, but you must listen. You have to listen which is what he goes on to say, right? I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Isn't that wonderful? The eye of God is upon you. He sees, he knows every minute detail of your life, every circumstance. He knows nothing escapes him. And his counsel is meant to permeate your life into every fiber of your being because his ever-sovereign, eternal, divine eyes are always upon us. Be not, and this is his counsel, don't be like a stupid animal. Those are my words. Don't be, be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. Don't be like one of these stubborn mules. Don't be like one of these obstinate horses. Listen to my counsel. This is, this is a call to receive wisdom. This is a call to yield, to submit. The problem, the reason why conviction is necessary, confession is even, is even necessary, is because we don't listen to the counsel of the Lord. If we listened and we obeyed, then a lot of things could be avoided counsel, God's mercy to instruct us. 
And then lastly, in verse 10 and 11, the we've seen the blessing of conviction, the blessing of confession, the blessing of being able to call, the blessing of God's counsel. And verse 10 and 11, really the blessing of what it comes down to is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. You notice in verse 11 that he, he refers to those who are forgiven as being righteous. How is it that he, how is it that you or I, that David, in, on one hand, can be in need of confession and, and conviction because we've sinned, and yet on the other hand, be referred to as righteous. And it's because of our position and our union in Christ. I am not righteous on my own, but in Christ, his righteousness is imputed to me. It's accredited to my account. And so again, he's talking to those who are already in this covenantal union with God, and we know that to be true only through the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but those who are in Christ, steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. You think about the way that forgiveness is being communicated here. It's not like this cold, mandatory forgiveness from God. It's this warm, relational, loving forgiveness that he gives of his own volition. Like no one's twisting God's arm to forgive you. And in Christ, you always have that forgiveness. It's genuine. He really does forgive. You really stand in the, in, in right now today in a position of forgiveness. Full pardon. Iniquity is atoned for. And so the proper response, be glad in the Lord and rejoice. This is why I'm saying we need to meditate upon the gift of of forgiveness more often because if we did, then we would respond like verse 11. We would be glad in the Lord and rejoice and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. We're so, sometimes we're just so meek and mild in our expression of our gratitude for God's forgiveness. The psalmist paints a different picture of this exuberant, heart-exploding, wonderful song of praise and worship and acclamation for the forgiveness that he's given to us in Christ. That is Psalm 32. I'm going to pray, and then we will have an opportunity to practice our shouting for joy and rejoicing in the Lord when we close in one more song together. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the way that it embraces us, that comforts us, that meets us, that knows us. You call us to come to you and to know that we will not be turned away.
humble ourselves, confess our sin, follow the conviction, call upon you, heed your counsel, and find, God, you, you're, you're good and you're compassionate. Your steadfast love surrounds us. It, it's, it's incredible what you provide. On this eve of Thanksgiving, Lord, we have so much to be thankful for, but this, this is the jewel of thankfulness. Help us, Lord, to always meditate upon it and to, um, to worship you rightly because of it. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys please stand and we'll sing one more song together.
Lord, help us to do that as we look upon the Christ upon the cross, we would see his love being poured out. And we would then in turn respond to live a life worthy of the gospel, a life of worship and of proclamation, exuberance, Lord, for the forgiveness that is ours that we currently possess in Christ. Thank you for tonight, Lord. We love you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.